This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Throughout history, many influential people have earned the title of leader, says Armstrong. Leaders look to the future, oblivious to who or how many are following. Being an effective manager requires you to efficiently and effectively work through others, to be what Kevin calls a mana coach. Armstrong shares his proven strategies for implementing management techniques based upon revolutionary concepts to create scalable and sustainable cultures of accountability. Kevin's work, The Miracle Manager, is a guide to aligning ourselves with our company culture and creating a healthy environment through accountability where politics cannot survive. Valeria Tellez interviews Kevin G. Armstrong the author of The Miracle Manager, Why True Leaders Rarely Make Great Managers. Kevin G. Armstrong is also a speaker, business advisor, disruptor, and authority in implementing simple, proven management solutions. But simple doesn't mean easy. In his diverse and accomplished career, he has taught at the high school and college levels, owned and sold small businesses, been an investment firm top seller, and worked in management as a VP at the corporate level, overseeing agencies throughout North America. Kevin has decades of experience helping business owners, from mom and pops to Fortune 500s, get more out of their business. Kevin currently leads a group of advisors at the Interdependent Training Group, ITG, which advises business leaders on creating clear vision and implementing strategies to hold their management teams accountable for delivering on their vision. Meet Kevin on kevingarmstrong.com. Here is the interview with Kevin G. Armstrong. In your own words, who is Kevin G. Armstrong? Who is Kevin G. Armstrong? A disruptor. <laughs> I think that's been sort of my. Uh, I've always I've always been open to new ways of doing things, and and you know I've taught high school music, and uh, I was a coach in physical education in, in high school as well, and uh, I've been in sales, and I've been in sales management, and I've been in advising businesses for over twenty years now business owners and their management teams. So I would say disruptor because disruption is, people look at it as negative, but disruption is actually a good thing if it's done respectfully. You inspired me to ask a question. What is the best thing about being disrupted? <laughs> What's the best thing about being disrupted? You learn a lot about people. You know, you can learn a lot about people very quickly by bringing in different perspectives and seeing how open they are to them. 
So before we talk about some specific topics in your book, The Miracle Manager, Why True Leaders Rarely Make Good Managers, I have these warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. The first one for you, Kevin, had to be this one. What does it mean to be a human being to you? Wow, what a great question. <laughs> you know, I've been, I, I was looking at some of your stuff in preparation for this talk. You know, and and, and uh, last February, I had the I had the pleasure of meeting Alan Mulally, and Alan Mulally took uh, Boeing in a leadership position uh, through 9/11, and then in 2006 he joined Ford Motor Company, and Ford Motor Company was about to go out of business. He was hired by uh, Bill Ford, the grandson of of uh, Henry Ford, and he was the first CEO ever in the industry to be hired. Uh, from outside the auto industry to run uh, one of the big three in terms of Ford. And he said, there's one word that we don't use in business enough, and that is the word love. You know, and to hear a CEO, a very, very powerful, very successful CEO say that, yeah, I, I just connected with him. And also in terms of good parenting, right? He said, he was asked, what, what uh, is your number one secret to uh, running a company? And he said, zero tolerance when it comes to process and behavior, mm-hmm. but with love, but with love, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, right. so right. I can't even remember what your question was, but that's, that's, what, uh, <laughs> that's what I always uh, refer to in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, kindness. And, uh, and you know, we, in business, we call it uncondi- unconditional acceptance, but the yeah. word is love, right? Mm-hmm. That's what love is. Everything that you add love and kindness to it, it's like magic. It turns into something great, a great lesson or some beautiful experience. What does the word miracle mean to you? Uh, above reproach, uh, well, a miracle, right? It is it's, it's something that we've never seen before or never thought we'd see in terms of, in terms of whatever we're, we're, we're describing it. And the, it actually came from the movie, The Miracle, uh, produced by Disney, which is a movie of, um, about the 1980 men's Olympic hockey team, which went forward to beat the Russians in order to advance the gold medal. And, uh, and that was a miracle. So I guess anything that's, that's just totally unexpected in terms of moving forward or achieving something. And I assume you believe in miracles. Oh, I don't know. You, I don't think you've been out too much if you don't. You haven't really been living life too much if you haven't seen, right. you know, if you don't believe in miracles, right? I agree 100%, yeah. What is life to you? Not what life is about, but what is this experience in the human body? Wow, what is life to me? Life is uh, definitely um, defined. You know, we don't know when. But we know there's a beginning and we know there's an end. And for me, life is, is just about giving all you can, you know, with the, with the energy that you, we all have access to the same energy. You know, it just, it's, you know, some of us like you allow more energy through your body than, than others, right? And, and so that energy is just limited by, by how you think. And so I, I think life is, is, in terms of defining life is just the ability to to harness and let energy flow. What do you think is the purpose of your life at this time? The purpose of my life is to get people to think through disruption, to to 
change paradigms and also for myself, right? To, To be open to paradigm shifts. And speaking of change, what is the meaning of death to you? Uh, the end. <laughs> <laughs> right. The end of something, right, Kevin? <laughs> the, 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 end, the end of the energy form that you're, that you're in right now. And I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I do believe in a soul. Yeah. And I believe like there's no two souls that are unique, right? Um, so, you know, the soul sort of uses this, this uh, body of ours until the body is, is finished and then maybe the soul moves on and maybe it doesn't. I don't know. At this time, given the current situation since the beginning of this year, what do you think is the world's greatest need? I think, I, I think it's this year or any year. I think it, it's any year in the past, right? It's just, it's, it's open-mindedness. It's connection. It's, you know, it's all rattled up and, you know, I should be asking you questions about love, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's all about the, the need to resist judgment and to resist having to be right and, and, and just listening and connecting and, you know, looking at different forms of, of energy and trying to connect with that. I I don't think, I think this year has just exposed the need for it, you know? What is freedom to you? What is to be free? I think the number one, my dad always t- you know, told us there was five freedoms. And uh, one of them is freedom from fear, right? So uh, I, I would say freedom is the ability to think on your own and express yourself without fear. I'm wondering how we overcome that because most of us are paralyzed by fear. Are you practicing this kind of way of living without fear? Well, I was listening to some of your other podcasts, and I'm listening, I, I read up on a lot of stuff of you know that you do, right? And and I, I think the practice is to protect your subconscious. I mean, your subconscious is just the history, is the history of when you came into being, and it's just a bunch of emotional files, right? Right. right. And and so to. to you really need to stop watching the news. I haven't watched the news in 30 years, right? I mean, and now, and now with social media, the, you know, I, I, I say media plus social media equals hysteria, which, we, which, we're, which we're seeing right now, you know? Right. And so, I mean, and it's not even news anymore. It's just people, like we, we go back to the judgment and this, this constant craving for certainty, right? And you have these people not telling the news, but giving their personal opinions, which are just totally sort of where their sponsors say they have to be coming from. And so I think it's just protecting your subconscious. Mm, Wow, I never heard it that way, Kevin. That's refreshing. Protecting your subconscious, which a lot of people connect that to the soul, the subconscious, to the source, to, uh, to God itself, which is interesting the way you say it. Yeah, it's a sacred place. How did you become a writer? I wrote a book 20 years ago called Normal is Nowhere. And uh, I'll probably, it was just, uh, I have to uh, republish it, but, but it was just a book on attitude and interdependence, you know, body, mind, and soul I use, which you're, you're a master at. And so just the interconnectedness, um, uh, interdependence, integrity, the words that we use all the time. But when you, when you sit down with somebody and say, hey, what does this word mean? You know, they talk for half an hour and you walk away and you don't have any better understanding. I should be able to tell you in a word 
in a sentence at most two sentences what a word means if I truly understand it. And so I discovered there's a whole bunch of words that we use in our English language that, you know, there's a whole bunch of different interpretations of what that word means. And, and it really, it's really big on teams or in organizations to define that word in terms of how we're going to use it in this organization. Speaking of words, leadership, that's a big word. What is true leadership from your perspective? The ability to look to the future and do it and do what you feel is right. That's it. Oh, wow. You know, we, we, we have, we have, we take, when it comes to defining leadership, we treat it like spaghetti. We throw it at the wall and whatever, you know, whatever uh, sounds cool stays, you know, on the wall. So, and then, you know, that's great. But, you know, when Rosa Parks over 60 years ago refused to vacate her seat on that bus, was she worried about who was following her? You know, she just said enough is enough. And the bus driver phoned the police. The police came on board. She wouldn't get out of her seat for a white person, which is unbelievable in my lifetime, but that was against the law. And they took this quiet, humble, you know, domestic worker and threw her in jail, you know? So hey, nobody followed her to jail. Nobody followed Nelson Mandela to jail for 27 years, right? But, but it, that was the birthplace of the leadership. And so if they both died in jail, and nobody ever heard of them, would you still consider them leaders? And I would, because they looked to the future and st stuck with how they felt, right? And then there's all these leaders that have died. You know, Emily Dickinson, we wouldn't even know her poetry unless her sister had gathered up all of her poems and published them after she died. So she's a true leader, leader in literature, but we didn't even know it while she was alive. You said now having a vision. So the word for leaders, the first quality, vision, Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I do consider these people who stand for themselves, for what they believe in strongly, the, the core of themselves. In your book, you say something interesting. You said, it's not over when you fail. It is over when you quit. And that makes me think about why do so many of us run away and are scared of failure? Well, sometimes it's a good thing. You know, I mean, there, you should listen to your inner voice once in a while. Usually your inner voice is a bad thing. But, you know, once in a while, you know, you, you have your inner voice is telling you to do something and you, and you should be afraid and you should react to that fear. It's called survival. Right. But I, I think that's that's the exception. You know, I think far too often we are uh, we're just pumped up by fear. I mean, all around us, you turn on the media, you turn everything that comes into our, into our minds If we don't filter that out and protect our subconscious, we, we live in a state of fear. And now, now this year, more than anything, right? Um, I, I live in Canada. You'd have to know 40,000 people to know somebody that died of COVID, right? You'd have to know 40,000, sorry, 4,000 people. You'd have to know 4,000 people to know a person who's died of COVID. And if you did know somebody, there's a 96% chance they're over 80 and have two pre-existing conditions, right? They're going to die in the next couple of years anyway. Yeah, we, we, we have just... Some people out there are just walking around in this total state of fear. You also, in your book, you mentioned that failure is a critical component of success. So when it comes to business, it's very important not to be afraid of failure. Exactly. Another question for you, Kevin, is how do we know when we are letting go of something and not quitting? What is the difference? Well, a trap yeah. is something you're not willing to let go of. Right. So and it's a, it's important to know where you are trapped in your life. And it's not 
and the, and you do have traps in your life. Like I, I, I love my sons. And so no matter what happens to them, I will stop what I'm doing and, and help them. Right. So in, in a, in a case that's kind of a trap, but I know that's a trap. It's a, it's something I'm not prepared to walk away from. And so, you know, the, the, it's just about identifying what is it you're prepared to walk away from in life and what, what, what aren't you? And, and, there's a whole probably there's a whole pile of things on your list that really what would be the harm in walking away from it? I mean that, that whole thing about quitting uh, it's not it's not over when uh, you fail it's over when you quit. Well, sometimes it's a good thing to quit, you know, because you you put so much resources in it and you're chasing something. You know, if you're if you were chasing the the idea of a, a video rental store right 15 years ago you probably would have been in, in a good position to make up your mind to quit that and look at something else because there's no market for it now. You know? so, but, but the problem is um, that there's a book called Essentialism and uh, it's a great book in terms of, you know, the trap is we, we throw something into something in terms of a resource and it keeps failing. So we keep spending more and spending more energy, money, time trying to make this thing work and it doesn't. You know, and so it, sometimes it is good to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And that might go back to the idea of practicing self-awareness, self-knowledge, knowing your values, your purpose, as you speak in the book. And speaking of that, talk to me about purpose. You say purpose, not position, is the key to performance. You know, so four years ago, uh, my dad died. So he, and he was, he was a great example of, of, he was one of the old boys, right? He would, he would uh, work in his office all day, go for lunch with his buddies for two hours, have a gin and tonic, come home, not exercise. And so he didn't have a fun, the last 20 years of his life wasn't fun. It was visiting doctors, uh, diabetes, getting parts of his uh, toes amputated, then part of his leg. And then he died. And then in 216, his kidney shut down. So he's on dialysis. So he decided they were going to take off his leg and then another leg. So he decided to uh, give up the dialysis and die. My mom, on the other hand, was in great shape. Um, she was, you know, in great spirits and in great shape. And, uh, and so I thought she was, you know, my, my dad was worried, about, was worried about leaving her when he made that decision to end his life. And I said, don't worry. I mean, look at her. She's going to be just fine. They were high school sweethearts and they married and they were married 67 years or something like that when he died, 66 years, right? And, uh, and she died within three years. And the reason is because he was what? Her purpose in life. Mm -hmm. You know, she looked at, like she had nothing else. I didn't realize this until this happened, right? But, but, but she just basically shut down because the only purpose she had in her life was looking after him which is a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> oh, but wow. it's, it's, it's something women have, you know, found them historically have found themselves in that position, right? Where, where they lose their spouse and they're just lost. So, so like to me, in the last three years, that whole idea of purpose, I'd probably write a book on it, but the thing is that there's so many books out there already. Purpose is paramount. Pur purpose is, is pinnacle. Purpose is everything, you know? You, you, and, and, it's funny because my daughter-in-law said to me, well, yeah, but you can't say that because people, you know, don't have a great purpose. And I said, well, who are you to value it, right? I go down to Las Vegas and I get on a rental car bus and the bus, the, the bus driver, he grabs my bags, grabs everybody's bags. He's running around. He gets in the bus. I mean, I take a rental car bus, I don't know, 
60 times a year. And, uh, and this guy, he's like talking to people as he's driving in his rear mirror. He's looking at people and asking them where they're from and he's cracking jokes and mm-hmm. the whole place. It was the fastest 13 minute or 12 minute bus ride from Las Vegas airport to the mm-hmm. rent-a-car station I've ever had. Mm-hmm. When we get off, everybody is giving him, you know, money. And I say, you know, you can be a bus driver or you can be the bus driver, right? You can be a salesperson or you can be the salesperson. What, 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 what would you rather do? And so what is your purpose? And, and obviously that guy understood his purpose was, was not to drive a bus. It was to make people's day, you know, like to, to, to and, and so to, and so people would say, well, yeah, if he's a bus driver. I don't care. I'd rather hang out with him any day, right? <laughs> than, than most people I know, because this guy was exceptional, right? Mm-hmm. Exceptional. And it was all about purpose. So I could go on for an hour and a half about purpose. We better move on. <laughs> what you just said is fascinating to me. And I have been asking the question, what is the measurement? Like, how do we know when we have found our purpose from your experience? So I just learned this over the last couple of years, right? Because I love words. And, uh, and uh, English is my first language. I should be able to speak better when I look at people like, you know, you that can speak two or three languages. So but the thing is, uh, the, uh, what was the question again? How do we know when we have found our purpose? What are the signs? Yeah, so what I discovered in the last two couple of years is that, that the difference between purpose and passion, right? And, and purpose is external. It's what makes me feel good about serving others. And then passion is what makes my heart sing, what turns me on, right? And, and so purpose is, uh, I think it's just if it makes your heart sing. If you find passion in your purpose, then, man, you've got it made. So would you say that passion is connected to joy, this feeling of contentment and inner peace? I'd say purpose more than passion because, because purpose is giving, right? It's giving to the outside. And, and so I think joy comes from helping others. I think joy comes from solving problems for other people or helping other people or, you know, making other people happy or joyful. Like, I like joy because you can't say, without, you can't say that word without a smile on your face. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So true. Me too. From what I understand, your book, the main subject, which is kind of refreshing to me because I never read anything about it. Coaches, managers, and leaders. You separate them, but in a way you connect coaches to managers and you called them, you gave them a name. And so you put those words together. Help me with the pronunciation. Mana coaches. Perfect. Mana coach, right? And so a mana coach, mana coach is just a great, is just a great manager coach. A mana coach is an exceptional manager coach. So what is the difference between the men coaches and leaders? Leaders, they don't have to inspire. You know, people think leaders have to inspire others and leaders have to do this. And that's where it gets all mixed up. And I feel sorry for young people because they see leadership as this big thing that's really huge to attain, right? And, and, they, and they give up. They just go, wow, there's just so many definitions to this, right? Um, in business uh, or, or any organization, you know, I was the top salesperson, the leader in an international investment firm. And unfortunately, like most companies still do today, uh, because of my proven track record in sales, they made me a manager. You know, and think about it. I could, I could uh, prospect, qualify, book appointments, present and close as best, as good as the best of them. 
So why not put me in charge of an international sales force with the aim of getting that kind of performance out of others? The, the problem is I didn't have the awareness, the patience, or the interest in understanding and leveraging the talent and abilities in others. So I failed, and I failed miserably. But the good news is, from failure, there's lessons. And after working for over 20 years now, exclusively with business owners and management teams, I've seen that placing leaders in management roles is an epidemic, and it can be instructed to the leader of the organization and the employees. Steve Jobs is a great leader. His vision, his ability to look to the future, you know, and, and stick with what he, was, what, what, what he thought was right, unbelievable, exceptional. Epic, right? But the thing is, is that if you'd taken him and forced him, coerced him, and sensitized him into a position of management, Apple and Pixar probably wouldn't exist today. You know, he proved it twice at two different companies, but he was not a manager or a coach. People couldn't stand him. A manager or coach is able to connect. You know, they're, they're able to look at a person with empathy and understand what that person's thinking. And they understand that there's different ways to motivate different people. What could work for one person would destroy another person on the team. You know, so they understand behavior styles and personalities. They're organized, which is why I can't be, why I'm not great, why I failed as a manager is, is I'm not organized. You know, I, I think I've got some leadership attributes, but I've, I don't have the important critical uh, attributes of a great manager or coach or a man coach. I'm wondering if we can put these qualities together, somehow create a balance between having vision and at the same time become somewhat organized, empathetic, having the communication skills, because that's another one I see you have here for the great managers. They're communicators, very good at it. And some leaders are not. Yeah, I'm wondering if we can balance some of these qualities. Well, the answer, I think, is no. You know, we're not all wired the same. You know, you're, you, you, I look at you and your videos, right? And you're passionate about about living a joyful life, you know, through body, mind, and soul. You know, you're in shape. You're thinking about what you're eating. You're, you're, you're not afraid to go on video and talk about it. There are some people that would rather die than be on video or be, or, or be promoting something. But they're excellent. They can take a spreadsheet and they can make seven pages sing together within about six minutes, right? They can take information and, or a computer programmer and they can sit down and, and, and in four hours do, do it if I could get my head around it, it would take me four years to do, you know? So the, this thing about trying to send ducks to Eagle school, it, it's, got to, it's got to stop. We, we, we've got to stop working on our weaknesses, realize what our talents are. Right. And that's what a great coach does. And a coach on a team, they go, hey, you know what? You're not that fast at skating, but you are really good at covering. So I'm going to put you on defense, right? They look at the people's individual, they don't try and make that person skate faster and try and put them on a forward position, right? And so, and so that's, that's where we screw up because we go, look, you want to be a leader? Look to, and, and the thing is, anybody can be a leader. If, if you see somebody being bullied, you go over and stop it. You know, it's looking to the future and saying, this is just not good. And so you go over and you, and, and you do what you can to stop it. That's leadership. Everybody else just stands around and watches, you go over, you see a piece of garbage on the road, and you pick it up and put it in the garbage can. That's leadership because everybody else just walks by it, right? So, so that's leadership. But in terms of a real special quality in managers and coaches, you've got to have empathy. You've got to, you, you've got to be um, able – you've got to be organized. You've got to be, have a passion for putting other people first. 
right? You can't be narcissistic. Mm, So, you know, can you take a person who was born or learned this wiring through their upbringing? Why do you want to spend time trying to rewire that? Just put them in a position where they're happy and let them do their work on their, you know, discover their purpose and work on that. Are you trying to create a program for companies, corporations to follow and to apply, implement? Well, I'm, I'm extremely blessed because I met Gina Wickman about um, 11 years ago, fell in love with his integrity, fell in love with his leadership and his passion and purpose for the EOS system. And so I've been certified with EOS worldwide. And, and you know, there's enough research out there to say, if you want to make a change in organizations, you have to start at the top. So to use this system and work with management teams so that they can understand their strengths and weaknesses, and, and understand that each pe- person on the team, so, you know, some people can connect, some people can get things done, some people can charge through a glass house, right? That like, there's these different energies we can harness. Um, it's a great system, and and so you know, to walk into a company and go, I can make your company healthy by following this system. Same with you. I bet you can make people happy by following your system, right? No, joyful, joyful, or you know, that balance between your your health and your uh, your wealth and even who you are, right? Talk to me for a moment, Kevin, about the term culture in business and companies. Yeah, there's a word. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't even learn that word. I, I studied, I tried to figure out a definition of that word for 20 years and then 10 years ago, I was at a university and, and this guy who was a, had a PhD in leadership, he, he was speaking and he used the word culture. So I raised my hand and I said, so how do you define culture? And finally, somebody didn't try to make it too complicated. He goes, culture is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if I walk into a, a room of, of a group of people, a company, or I walk into an organization or I walk into a country, you know, if you look at the difference between Mexico and the difference between Germany, you know, if I said to you, if you like things to be on time, everybody stands in line. Everything is based on time. If the refrigeration mechanic says he's going to be here at five to three, he's going to be here at 10 to three, right? On Friday, <laughs> yeah. right? Which country would you go to? Which country resonates with you, right? Because it's a different, you definitely go to Germany, right? True. But in Mexico, it's more of a polychronic culture where it's about relationships. It's about, you know, time is second place. It's, it's you know, somebody's going to deliver water. It might be this Friday. It might be next Friday. It's, 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 it's everybody, there's just, um, it's just a different culture, right? And it's not, a, it's not a matter that Germany's right and Mexico's mm. wrong or vice versa. It's just what resonates with you. Right. And so to, to help an organization to define their culture and get away from these BS words like honesty and integrity and, you know, let, let's, let's, go with word, let's go with a short sentence like everybody in this company is prepared to push a broom. You know, that's a, that's a core value statement that explains your culture. And, and not every company has that. You know, I have one company that has that as a core value, which means that if you're vice president of finance and they need help loading trucks downstairs, you're going downstairs. But you can't work for another company I work with that's an engineering firm where they all went to university for nine years and they're not going to go downstairs and load trucks or clean bathrooms. So you can't have a core value statement. It's a different culture. And so just to understand it's, it's the way people interact and breathe. And it's, it's important to understand what is that culture you're going to work with? Can you work within it? Because if it, it's going to kill you emotionally and spiritually if it's, a, if it's a different culture, right? 
how some people identify the culture of a company before they apply to work for them? Boy, there's a great question. I, I don't think, you know, I think you can ask questions and because they're all going to have their core value statements and they're going to say, this is what our culture is above, blah, blah, blah. But you don't know if it's just a bunch of backstabbing, unhealthy, political, terrible place to work. You don't know that going in, right? But I think, I think that the secret, we talked earlier about traps. And, and when you go into a company and you think you're trapped because of money, because you need to have this income, and you sacrifice your soul because you're, you're in a place that just doesn't resonate with you, I mean, I, I think that's, that's almost the same as committing suicide. I agree. So, 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 so to put the, I mean, you and I both know, we know wealthy people, and they're the most unhealthy, unjoyful people you'd ever want to meet, right? They, they've got all this money, they've got this lifestyle that everybody would just dream to have, and they're miserable. So true. Not all of them. Yeah, I have met some, but they're not. Some of them, they, they're actually very joyful people. Some of us choose to balance the body, mind, spirit and bring everything together. And that's a beautiful thing when that happens, because now you're healthy physically and you have wealth. Thanks for turning the conversation back to a positive. I was getting a bit of a negative <laughs> crap there. Good for you. <laughs> Talk to me, Kevin, about chapter six. That was a very interesting chapter about the power of vulnerability, being vulnerable. So what is being vulnerable and why is it so important? Being vulnerable is, is just, well, it, it's, you said about being authentic, right? You can't, you can't be authentic unless you're vulnerable. Vulnerable is, is knowing what you're afraid of. It's knowing what your fears are. It's, 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 not a, it's not having a fear of talking about what you are afraid of or what scares you or where, you, or where your weaknesses are or where you need help, right? And, and, and the problem with vulnerability is you can't be vulnerable unless you're aware of those things. And that's why I wish they would quit calling them therapists and call them personal coaches because there's such a negative connotation to to therapy. I saw one of the videos, it wasn't your video, but I think it was posted on your channel, right? That, that whole idea of understanding your emotional history and understanding why you react to things a certain way. But, you know, Brené Brown's video, like 12 years ago, I went to a conference and the guy on the stage said, you can't be truly powerful unless you're willing to be vulnerable. And for, for especially for men, because we've been taught that, that vulnerability is what? Weakness, right? Weak, weakness. We've been conditioned that way, right? So, so that turned me upside down when he said that. I was like, what do you mean vulnerability is? You can't be powerful unless you're willing to be vulnerable, right? <laughs> and and two, then two years later, Brené Brown's video on the TEDx Houston came out and I watched that and, and, it, and that explained it to me. And I, I really got it to the point where for the last 10 years, when somebody has a problem with a manager in their company, I say, let that person watch that video for 20 minutes <laughs> and ask them what they got out of it. And if they didn't get anything out of it, get them into a different position. They shouldn't be coaching or managing people. If you can watch that video for 20 minutes and, and not get it, then put them in front of a computer or, or get them where they're dealing with something that's you know not human, like robots or something, right? Because yeah. it's such a powerful, powerful thing. A team and their function and their collaboration and their health is so much better when everybody on the team is is just talking about where, where they need help and where they're weak as opposed to trying to be a legend in their own mind. What are some of the, uh, let's say, strategies or methods that you have used yourself 
to find your vulnerabilities and embrace them? Oh, three things. Yeah. Number one, therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. Number two, therapy. <laughs> and number three, therapy. <laughs> okay, now, now we know exactly what to do <laughs> and how to do it <laughs> to get but, there. But I mean, if you find the right person, you know, to uh, anytime somebody says they have a good therapist, they say, okay, let's, let, I, let, let me book them because I want to find out how I'm doing. I just want to check me out. Let's go, right? Because, <laughs> because the more you can learn about yourself, you know, the, because there's, there's this stuff in our history that, you know, our subconscious does a beautiful job when something um, traumatic happens to us, you know, in terms of pounding it into uh, our, our sub memory. So we can't remember it, you know, and then these people when they're in their twenties, if they had a abusive incident, you know, or, or a series of incidents when they're young, all of a sudden these pictures are coming up in their mind and they don't, they think they're going crazy. Right. So, and, and the way we feel physiologically, we feel, we feel things physiologically before we feel them emotionally. Your, your body will tell you, and you know this better than I do, you know, your body will tell you when, when you're about to get into a fight or flight or when, when something is, is, is about to trigger you, right? And, and you don't even know why until you know what's, what's happened in your past. So to, to be vulnerable would be no, to, to, to know those things. And you can't know those things unless you have some, a, a real professional or a real expert who knows how to do that to sort of dig it up. My work, it's all about healing, which, yeah, getting to know yourself, basically. Another point that you made, this is a, a topic in your book under uh, chapter six, saying you are sorry versus asking for forgiveness. So there was a difference Talk to me for a moment about that, Kevin. So I got this from David Sweet probably 25 years ago when he was speaking at the conference. And it just, it just hit me right in the head, right? That the fact is, when you say I'm sorry, all you're saying is a statement. And I, whenever I'm speaking to an audience, I'll say, raise your hands if you know somebody in your life that just says sorry all the time. And, and you just don't, you don't really pay attention to it anymore because they just say sorry, right? They keep doing the same thing. And then they give this sorry like it's supposed to correct it. And so what, what's, even in coaching, when you're coaching people or managing people, it's, it's, or in sales, asking questions takes a lot more confidence because you have to be prepared for the answer, right? So asking questions is a lot, and you learn. You can't learn from making statements, but you learn from asking questions, right? So if you and I were in a relationship and, and you did something, and uh, I say, sorry, in your mind, you could be going, oh yeah, here we go again. You know, you're, you're saying sorry. But if I say to you, I ask this question, it's a lot like just try it when you go out there and just try asking that question. Can you forgive me? You know, I really screwed up here. Uh, can you forgive me? And and now I got to stop and wait for the answer. And your answer might be what? No. You know, which means I've said sorry too many times and, and or I've lost your trust or I've lost your faith. And now we have work to do in our relationship because uh, either the relationship's over or I've got some work to do to try and figure this out. Right? But, but it is just, when I, I always ask people, go and just try it. Next time, somebody in your family, somebody at work, you screw up, which we all do. <laughs> just, just be real and say, hey, just try, just try asking that question. Because it's hard. It's hard to ask that question. You know, just, can you forgive me? I was in a session two, two months ago and I, I said something that offended somebody on the team. 
And he really got very upset. And I just said, you know what? I screwed up. I didn't realize this was that important to you. And this, this is the second time I had met with this team, right? And I said, I really screwed up. Can you forgive me? And he said, no. And I should have stopped everything right there. I didn't. I went to the end of the day and then I told him it's probably good if we don't work together anymore. But uh, I should have just stopped it right there because once somebody says that, I should have said, okay, so we can't move forward. You know, until we get to, until until we resolve this, I actually broke my own rule. I shouldn't have gone through the rest of the day. I should have just stopped right there and said, you know, but I was on an agenda, so I want to get them through this session. But you know, it's 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 everything stops when someone says no because there's no point moving forward unless you're going to uh, work on it. And so, really confident, really confident, confident mana coaches, they will say, you know, I screwed up. Can you forgive me? What is success to you today, and what is to be successful? I'll answer the second question first. So I think success is a great concept because you get to define it, right? It's a, and so, you know, success in terms of the definition is just what it, it might that you want to be a great, a fantastic parent or, you know, a, a really uh, connected grandparent or that you want to make the greatest organization in terms of your business ever, right? So, or you want to be the go-to person on, in, in terms of the subject of joy, you know, on the subject of joy. Uh, and, and so, you know, you get to define it any way you want. My definition is the number of people that really feel in their stomach when they hear that you passed away. You know, they have a heart, just a heart killing moment or a stomach turning moment when they hear that you passed away. That, that to me would be the definition that the, the number of people you touched in a, in a good way, right? That means that we are trying to be the best human beings we can be. And to me, it goes back to kindness and, yeah, living that joy. So I have three more questions for you. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself as of today? I had to learn. I think that we're all flawed. I, 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 I don't know. You know, that's funny. That was a hard lesson. <laughs> But boy, it sure sets you. It sure sets you free. Right? You know, it, it really, it really sets you free, right? Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of the vulnerability and power. You can't be powerful unless you're willing to be vulnerable. I think, I think that set me free in a lot of ways. You know, because that led to the fact that we're all flawed. But uh, yeah, that was a hard lesson, right? Because you're so programmed into thinking that being showing weakness is is weakness. Yeah. And also that perfectionism, trying to be perfect. Yeah, Oof, yeah. I feel sorry. For, I, I, I really feel I, that's never been a problem for me. I feel sorry for people who are trapped in that world. <laughs> yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's tough, a tough one. one. Yeah, yeah, it is, Kevin. Yeah. Right. Two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No. Mm, that was quick. <laughs> uh, well, you know, <laughs> Man, I, you know, I, I live in a country where we have free healthcare, free education. My parents came from Ireland as immigrants. I've lived better than 99.9% of the world population. I've climbed mountains. I've hiked for weeks. I sail. I've golfed. I mean, I do everything I've ever wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, with the, with the little time I have left on a total spectrum, it is a little time, right? Is, is how can you give back and how can you impact people in a positive way? Um, but, but I don't know what those things are, but in terms of my fulfillment and the life I've lived and, and all of the, I mean, I'm privileged, right? Uh, you know, I'm not colored. 
I'm a white man, so I have I have benefited from this privilege, and and almost the point of guilt, right? Because I look at how other people are treated. If you're a woman, you know what what women have had to go through, and they still have a lot of stuff to go through. You know, I like I like Chris Rock. He says mm-hmm. he says it's not that it's not that blacks have come a long way in the last fifty years. It's that white people have become a, a lot less crazy. Mm-hmm. You know? And then the same thing, it's, it's not that women have come a long way in the last 50 mm-hmm. years. It's, it's that men have become a lot less crazy. So I'm a white man living in a white man's world. And, and uh, if I've got something to complain about, I should be ashamed of myself. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? That it's short would be number one. That you've got to live every moment and every day that it's got no guarantees and and you know you, you you and and it only has time for those people that can pick themselves up brush themselves off and move forward mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have it doesn't have time for uh, for people that feel sorry for themselves yeah thank you so much for your presence for your authenticity. I love how real, how true you are. Or you came across to me. I felt it. Thank you so much for your wisdom too, Kevin. Well, thanks for the invite. You know, like I said, I really enjoy going through your stuff and uh, I really believe in it. I really believe in it. Thank you. One more question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Oh, you just go to kevingarmstrong.com. It's all there. Or the Miracle Man or the Miracle Manager.com. It's all the same website. Right. You have two websites. I'll have them listed too. Thank you so much again, Kevin, and we'll talk soon. Valeria, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kevin G. Armstrong and his work, please visit KevinGArmstrong.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.